Welcome into the Yachts and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Friday edition of the podcast, getting you all the news and notes ready before this weekend's rivalry game. Uh, Oregon, number four in the college football rankings, is going north to Seattle to take on the Washington Huskies. Uh, this game is always interesting. This game is always uh, feisty. Uh, this week it feels a little bit more because of some comments that were made by head coach Jimmy Lake at Washington. Uh, Michael Schill, University of Oregon president, he fired back. Uh, Mark Cristobal is uh, he is Switzerland. He is neutral. He is not doing anything. Uh, he's he's not going to say one thing. Uh, this game kicks off at 4:44 on ABC. Um, and just to add into this. Um, Mark Jones, Robert Griffin III, and Quint Kessenich are calling the game. Mark Jones and Quint Kessenich are two of the three uh, TV broadcasters from a couple years ago that did the cupcake analogy with Washington. So there is there is a lot of storylines in this game. I love it. This is what rivalry games are supposed to be like. Obviously, the ESPN stuff has nothing to do with the rivalry. It's yes. more like a rivalry between a school and a broadcasting yeah. But um, it, it, the Oregon-Washington part is like, who expected that we'd get here? I think I think if Washington had been winning more, yeah, we would have felt like, okay, maybe Jimmy Lake's going to fire off and, and, and whatnot. But from a recruiting perspective, they've been terrible the last couple of years, this year in particular. And, and then you look at the fact that on the field, it's not like they've been very good. I know they're coming off a win over a team Oregon lost to in Stanford. Both those games came down to the wire. Washington executed well enough to win. I again think Oregon executed well enough to win, but that's there's a lot to unpack there um, that we won't get to today because that's a previous game. So like th there there is reason for I guess Washington to feel okay about themselves, but to come out and just go all you know home run you know grand slam kind of swing like that feels sort of strange. Um, from Jimmy Lake. And as Matt said, I think Mario Cristobal was very careful with how he wanted to respond and what he wanted to say. You know, he said he wasn't going to give the juicy comment. And that was in reference to a variety of things we asked him about. You know, Wednesday's press conference was pretty was pretty fun in terms of there was a lot of topics that were out of his quote unquote comfort zone. He wants to talk football. He wants to talk schemes. He wants to talk player improvement. He wants to talk about you know, the progress the team is making, their one and no mentality. And yet we spent half the presser talking about college football playoff rankings, bolts and board material. And and at the end he was he's like, guys, like, come on, come, come, come with me. We're not I'm not I'm not falling for this. You you guys know me well enough. So um you said he was Switzerland. He says he's Switzerland. I'm guessing if Oregon wins this game, he's gonna come out and not be very neutral about it. I don't know oh, yeah. what he'll say, but I would be surprised if he just kind of lets that comment totally slide by, assuming Oregon takes care of business on Saturday. Yeah, this is going to be a fun weekend. It always is when Oregon plays Washington, almost regardless of any sport. Uh, and like you guys have been saying, it's all been precursored by these comments from Jimmy Lake on Monday. And, you know, whether or not it's, it, it is bulletin board material for Oregon, we don't know. Mario Cristobal didn't even seemed to know what bulletin board material was at our <laughs> press conference. Which, oh, yeah. You know. yeah, that was a little, that was a little unbelievable to me. Uh, you had to ask yeah, me I, to find bulletin board material? Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe it at all. I, I'd imagine Mario probably still has an actual bulletin board with like real pins stuck into it. But 
so, so we'll see where that leads. But yeah, I don't. I, I anticipate if if Oregon were to win, um, Barrio and a lot of the team would stop their you know one and zero mentality looks for just an afternoon, and kind of really let everybody know how they're feeling after the game. But yeah, I think regardless, this will be uh, you know these games are always closely contested. Um, in the last couple of years, at least, uh, every once in a while, there's a big blowout, but I don't anticipate that happening this year. Um, Washington has been disappointing, to say the least, this season. Uh, Oregon is doing basically what a lot of people thought they would be doing. And, you know, again, this is in our Pacto Prediction podcast, you know, we had uh, USC and Arizona State. And at the beginning of the season, you're like, oh, look at this game. This game might mean a lot in November. And this kind of has... But that was how I felt about Oregon and Washington the first week yeah. of November at the beginning of the season. But now we're here, Oregon's 7-1, Washington's 4-4. Four four. Um, but this is still an opportunity for Washington to genuinely knock Oregon out of the college football playoffs. Um, Oregon sits fourth right now in, in, in the rankings, but with the loss, I don't know where they drop to, but they certainly won't make it in regardless. Um, so this will be an opportunity for them to, you know, have a good, you know, finish, not finish the season, but have a high note in their season and frankly end the season where it looks like it's a successful season because they beat Oregon. Well, and, and if they beat Oregon, they're right in the, they're controlled on destiny right. division, by yeah. the way, which is another part that gets because. lost in this is because it's, yeah, the Huskies win, they're kind of may win the division, which is, which is weird considering how crappy they've been most of the year. Jared brought up a good point. This was supposed to be a really big weekend for the conference because if Washington had the year that, that you would have expected them to have going into the season, they probably are seven and one, six and two, maybe. Uh, and certainly a top 25 team in the country. And then Arizona State and USC, uh, ASU's five and three, USC's four and four. I, I think going into the year, most people expected these teams to probably be around seven and one to six and two. And both also in the top 25. And so you would have Pac-12 North, you know, ranked first, ranked opponent, you know, first and second going at it. And then in the South, you would have ranked first, ranked opponent, first and South and second in, in South division going at it. This was supposed to be a big weekend and it, it kind of lost a lot of that muster, but I think the conference got a jolt and Oregon certainly got a jolt with the number four ranking in the college football playoff because as Jared wrote on the site earlier this week, that Oregon kind of controls its own destiny now as long as they win well. Uh, and, and if they do, A, Oregon goes to the playoff. And for us and the team that we cover, that's great news. But B, it's also brings up everyone one level in the bowl tiers. Now all of a sudden you send Oregon to the playoff and another team to the Rose Bowl out of, out of the conference and everyone else gets a better bowl game. This is a... It's a weird dynamic because the rest of the conference outside of Washington probably has to root for Oregon to win this game and to win out because it's it's far more beneficial for the league to see Oregon make the playoff than it is uh, for Oregon to slip up in another game, which adds just another element of pressure to this team. And I'm really curious to see how are they going to respond to – what I described on the instant reaction from Tuesday's show, like an extra life in a video game that's been awarded to you. Because for so long, 
no one really thought the playoff was a serious possibility. And now it's not just serious, it's likely if they win out. Assuming the rest of the conference roots for Oregon means that they would be considering put their best interests at hand as opposed to their rooting interests, which is I, – I just think – I doubt the conference. Oh, I mean, they should in, in theory. Yes. Besides, besides, probably Utah, just because Utah doesn't want Oregon to make the playoff, because that would mean they didn't win the conference. But, right. but like, yeah, I, I mean, you're not you're not wrong in terms of like it benefits them. I just doubt people. People don't like Oregon right now at all, and you see, you see that online. You certainly see that from the way the coaches in the conference vote on all conference honors. It's pretty clear that Oregon does not like not everyone's favorite team. They're not the Pac-12 footprints favorite team, I think, in Eugene and, and around this, you know, team people that like Oregon, like Oregon, people that don't like Oregon really don't like Oregon. So, um, but you're right. In terms of the con- the conference badly needs a team in the playoff, just, you know, end of story. Mm-hmm. And if Oregon can get there, it would be significant for the entire league. And a year that is suddenly kind of a disaster becomes a year you can celebrate for a couple of reasons. And if you're Utah, it's a year where you lost to two Mountain West teams in September and kind of thought the year was over. Well, let's say they win the division. Oregon goes to the playoff. The Utes are in the Rose Bowl. I mean, that's an incredible outcome for for them, considering, again, all the – I mean, the the actual off-the-field heartbreak they've gone through, but then also the fact that they started the season with two losses to, you know, non-Power 5 schools to be in a spot where maybe they make a Rose Bowl appearance – I think that would be huge for for that program. So there's a bit of a digression talking about kind of the impact for the rest of the league. But I think you're you're not wrong in that this does feel like a significant weekend. And if you're Oregon, each of these weekends are very, very significant. There's a ton of pressure on you. And you just have to take care of business. And we will now see how they handle that. You know, they obviously slipped up a couple of weeks removed from the win at Ohio State with a lot of pressure on their backs. The pressure is now back on their shoulders. How do they respond? Washington is not a terrible football team. I know the results mm-hmm. results aren't great. No one's impressed by losses to Montana or a really, and now, now, now loss to Michigan looks a little better considering how well the Wolverines have played since. But right. in general, no one is super impressed by what Washington has done. But this is again, a rivalry game. And historically, these teams are pretty competitive at least the last four or five years. 100%. Um... To touch on the the playoffs real quick, um, Pac-12 just needs anybody. It doesn't matter if it's Oregon or Utah or Washington to get into the playoffs again. You know, it's they don't have anybody else other than Oregon ranked inside the top twenty-five. This is just, and you know, it's a it's a bad look necessarily for the conference. And Oregon's home stretch is certainly against some of the harder opponents in the conference: Oregon State, Washington, Utah. Um, even Washington State's been playing well this year, but you know it still pales in comparison to what you know, Ohio State's going to have to do, or what SEC or what SEC schools are going to have to do down the stretch. So, I don't necessarily know if the Pac-12 is as you know favoring Oregon or rooting for Oregon to get to the playoffs. Um, should they? I mean, probably it'll bring money to the to the conference and it'll bring notoriety to the con- conference, which is going to be good, but. They just need somebody in there. I don't think it matters who the team is. Obviously, the only the only chance they have this year is Oregon. But in, in, in years future, they just need somebody who's a dominant team. And maybe that is Oregon for the future. Or maybe it's somebody else that we don't know about. Maybe Jed Fish really gets Arizona mm-hmm. going. Yeah. But... <laughs> all the money on that. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs>
That's a terrible but, futures bet. That's a terrible futures bet. Arizona next Pac-12 team in the college football playoff. But oh my God. giving money away. Plus, plus seven million. Um, <laughs> but yeah, every every week from here on out is is unbelievably important for Oregon. And obviously, this week means a little bit more just because it's a rivalry game. But you know, you you know, you end the season with. Two of your last four games are rivalry games, Washington, Oregon State. In Utah is slowly becoming a bit more of a rival just from you know, Oregon meeting them later in the season, having dramatic finishes or, you know, meeting each other in Pac-12 championship games. Um, so it's it's important, obviously, for Oregon to win out. And we'll see how this team plays this weekend because they, you know, have played up to competition. They played down to competition at points. They haven't really remained steady. Yeah. I would say the last two weeks have been really steady in terms of offensive production. Um, I thought the defense was better at UCLA than it was against Colorado. But then again, they were healthier against UCLA. Um, so that'll be something to watch just how they come out of the gates and if they maintain their execution levels that they've been having the last two weeks against Washington. It's going to be interesting watching this game play out because Washington's offense is not very good. They are 10th in the conference in yards per play this season. Um, they have, though, a solid running game. You know, Sean McGrew is – I don't think it's safe to say that, that McGrew is one of the best running backs in the conference – but he certainly is is more than respectable. And then Kamari Pleasant is solid. Cameron Davis is another guy that's had some reps and is is solid. But looking at this game, I, I, it, on Oregon for Oregon defense versus Washington offense, this is one in which I I almost want to see Oregon force the Huskies to throw the football and and rely on Dylan Morris because he just has not looked good all all year. And if if they get if, if they stay on schedule on defense and they force third and sevens, third and eights, third and nines, that's the recipe to winning this football game and shutting this this Washington offense down. If if Washington can gain five or six yards on first down, that's the recipe for them to be able to stay with Oregon and put together long drives. I think this could be very similar to Oregon Stanford in terms of maybe some limited possessions, because we already know Oregon likes to have long drives. And I think that's probably in the best interest of Washington as well. Yeah. I think both these offenses, or I should say both these defenses want to take the same thing away from the opposing offense. Yep. And that's the run, um, you know, Oregon defensively is pretty good against the run. And yes. a lot of the success mm -hmm. that uh, Washington has had, quote unquote, has been against two atrocious rushing defenses. In fact, they have yet to run for more than 100 yards against anyone that's moderately respectable on the ground. Um, they ran for over 200 yards against Arkansas State and against Stanford. And those two teams are near the bottom nationally. Arkansas State is 129th out of 130, and Stanford is 119th out of 130. So. It's not to say Washington can't run the football effectively, but the teams that they have done it against, and by the way, that Stanford game is a game where they don't score a touchdown until the last 20 seconds of a game and they win. That's pretty remarkable, by the way, to not score a touchdown until 20 seconds of a game and win. Um, 
but you know they they are they are a team that has had some success on the ground against two very bad rushing defenses. Oregon is not that, and, and that is why I have some optimism here that Oregon's defense can really put this game. I don't want to say away, but can keep it relatively low scoring. You know, keep we'll get to score predictions later, but keep this game again maybe one in the twenties, maybe low thirties is a range because I, I don't know if I look at this Washington offense and think they're not good on the ground against good run defenses historically this year. And they are not good throwing the football until their backs are against the wall. I mean, you go look at the way that they've won and competed in some of these games, give credit to Dylan Morris against Arizona and against Stanford in terms of having success in the fourth quarters, throwing the football. But up until that point, he was pretty bad. So, um, you know, and, and then the flip side is obviously true because Washington has the nation's top ranked pass defense and they are not good against the run at all. And I, this is where I think, this game could be a rather quick game in terms of actual game time, because I yeah, think this is going to be a lot of running. Yeah. And I think Oregon would love to have this be a situation where it's our run game against your run game, because Oregon has a better run offense than Washington and they have a better run defense than Washington. So if this game is one in the trenches that favors Oregon. Um, and again, I think it will be interesting to see how much success Oregon can have throwing the ball. Anthony Brown is coming off of, to almost 300 yard games. He had, you know, right about 296 against UCLA and then 307 against Colorado. Can he do that again? Is if he can have any, if he can get even close to that, this game won't be close. Um, mm -hmm. This is a Washington defense, which has allowed one 300 yard game all season. And that was against Chase Garbers in California. Other than that, there's three games they've held opponents to less than 50 yards or sorry, less than a hundred yards, a couple less than 50 yards to the air. So this is a Washington team that, is really good against the pass, struggles to throw the football, and then the running game is pretty hit and miss. So if I'm Oregon, you take away that that run game like I think they can, I think you're sitting in a pretty good spot. And it's just offensively doing enough to get, I guess, that advantage to play with the lead. You don't want to play behind against this deep pass defense, and you don't want to make mistakes. I think that's the big one for me. Don't turn the yeah. ball over. If you can be consistent, you can get the ball into the red zone most possessions, kick field goals, come away with touchdowns, I think you're probably in a pretty good spot. Yeah, execution is going to be massively important against Washington. Not just uh, turnovers, but you know, penalties, uh, dumb penalties too. Uh, Matt, you brought this up earlier in this week. Earlier in the week is how Washington's going to try to force them into making you know dumb decisions. You know, personal foul penalties at the end of plays. It's 15 yards, a first down for Washington. Just trying to bait Oregon into it because that's what they need in order to really get the ball moving. Frankly. Um, yeah, Washington's offense, like Eric has been saying, is isn't the best. Um, their their rush offense really isn't anything special. Uh, Oregon's rush defense has been good the last two weeks. It was you know outstanding against UCLA. It was a very impressive performance um, against Colorado. It was it was okay at points. Um, I think that Colorado used a lot of you know, a lot of trickery, a lot of almost rush plays to get their rushing yards. Um, but Dylan Morris isn't a real threat to run outside the pocket yeah. like Brennan Lewis and Dorian Thompson Robinson were in the last two games. So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, they're going to run a lot of 12 personnel, which is our good friend James James Grippy is of the Oregonians' favorite thing right now. Um, so they're going to try to. Hopefully, Oregon's not in dime during those plays, though. Oh, no. <laughs> Anything but dime or 22 or 12 man personnel. <laughs> um, <laughs> But so they're going to run two tight end sets. They're going to really try to get the ground attack going. But Washington's offensive line has been beat up a lot this year. 
uh, injuries and just during the game. And I don't see that really changing against Oregon's defensive front. Um, I think that Oregon's defense is going to come out with their hair on fire. I think they, you know, they've been really good the last two weeks. I think they still have more to prove. I think they can still get better, frankly. And with the development of Jeffrey Bossa, linebacker, um, and his growth as a, as a player there, I still think that they're, they're the middle of the defense is going to get better. And for some reason, it, it feels like Washington is going to really try to establish the passing game first and really try to get Dylan Morris into a nice rhythm. And I think it's up to Oregon's secondary and their boundary corners to really stop stop that from happening. Because if they can um, get the passing game going first and get Oregon back on their heels, you know, proverbially, you know, then the lanes in the middle start to grow. And maybe their offensive line gets a couple because the defensive line is expecting a pass. But it'll be good. This is, this is a battle of the trenches, 100%. But this is what Mario Cristobal has preached his entire tenure at Oregon is winning the battle of the trenches. And last two times these teams have faced in 2018 and 2019, Oregon has won the battle of the trenches. And if you remember in 2019, their second half comeback, that was really spark plugged by Oregon running the ball down Washington's throat with Cyrus and Bibilikio. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, if it, if Oregon gets behind again, that's that might be what they go to. They don't have a power back like that anymore on the team, but this is still a game that's going to be won in the trenches, and whoever has that advantage at the end of the game is going to win. Going into the game, though, it's pretty obvious that Oregon has that advantage. Jared brought up a good point with Cyrus and with Verdell Hurt. I, I think this kind of explains – a little bit to why Oregon got Cardwell and Trey Benson some extended run against Colorado last week. Um, obviously, the bigger main reason is, hey, they just need to get those guys reps. But the short-term reason could be, are these guys capable of having the ball in a critical game, in a critical moment? Because while Travis Dye is – and will be tremendous for Oregon down the stretch, he can't do this by himself. He needs somebody else in the backfield. And I think Travis Dye in a one-game situation could be that power down, you know, between the tackles, downhill runner. But what's it going to cost you? Will he be available the next week? Will he be limited the next week? Um, so I think it's – it's going to be important that a Byron Cardwell or a Trey Benson can kind of give Oregon something in the run game. Um, because like Jared said, this is going to be a game that's played and probably won in the trenches. And if Oregon can just pound them into submission for four quarters, eventually the dam will break and you'll blow this team out. And we should note that, Washington, they have not won a game yet this season against an FBS team with a winning record. All their wins have come against teams that have losing records or group of five teams. And that group of five team has a losing record as well. So we're at the point in the year where is it fair to expect that if Oregon plays, it's, it doesn't have to play its best game. 
A minus. Let's just say it's an A minus type game. Certainly, a couple things maybe could have gone a better in a better direction for Oregon, but overall, for four quarters, they played pretty good. I don't think it really matters what Washington does if that's the type of performance Oregon gets. They should be that much better than the Huskies. I think yeah, if Oregon plays near its best or at its best, they'll win. I don't think there's any question. I mean, and that's and that's why I think for Washington, it's all about muddying the waters a little bit, and it's right. You know, and, and regardless of what that strategy entails, it's it's making sure Oregon can't play at its best. Because it, I think everybody looking at this game objectively knows Oregon has the better football team this year. Oregon has the team that's been playing better. Oregon has better talent that is represented in the team talent ranking on 247 Sports. Oregon is a top 10 team talent-wise. Washington is like 16th, I think. So they're not a huge disparity, but Oregon has the edge. And that has been played out on the field all season. So... You know, and, and that's why this Washington, I mean, maybe that's why the coach is saying weird things to try to, quote unquote, distract, to, to take away from the fact that maybe their team's not overly competitive. Um, you know, and, I, and I, maybe overly competitive is the wrong term, because I, I do think the way these rivalry games have been played the last three, well, the last two games. And before that, it's a bunch of weird blowouts on both sides because of a bunch of different circumstances. But um the last two times out, these teams have been right at each other's throats and they've been very competitive games. And Washington knows, I think, that the way to make that happen again and make it an ugly game it, it is to find ways to to impact things outside of just one on one matchups, because Oregon's going to win a lot of those. You know, if it's just talent on talent, Oregon's going to win. So they've got to find other ways to do that. And I, I'm pretty confident in the matchups here, though, as we established earlier. I just think Oregon is so much better in the trenches, and that's where this game is going to be won. And if they do lose this game, it's going to be a game where you go, what's up with the identity of this team? They've been winning all mm -hmm. season because they are so much better up front than opposing teams. They're going against a team that looked like they had the advantage against, and, and why didn't they fall, you know, figure it out? So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm curious to see, I guess, just how Washington approaches this. Um, do we see them turn to some trickery, to some stuff offensively that you just aren't expecting to see? Um, you know, I mean, kind of what's what's up their sleeve? Because I, I think if they play this game straight up, I just don't see Washington winning, really, um, unless Oregon just completely falls flat on its face, which is possible given some things we've seen this season. Well, that was going to be my question, but I, I would assume they would turn to some trickery. But there's part of me that feels like Jimmy Lake is very prideful individual and will try to beat Oregon without any type of help. Like, you know, no trickery, no nothing. Like we're going to try to just beat you. Like we beat Mont or tried to beat Montana. Like how we, <laughs> I almost said that they beat them, how they beat Arkansas state. And so I'm, I'm kind of left wondering if, like, will they go for trickery? Or are they going to be too, like, we're, we're the Washington Huskies. We're just going to win this game, even though they might not have as talented of a team. They definitely don't have as talented of a team. And they definitely don't have as talented of a team in the trenches. Mm -hmm. So, because when it came to, you know, former Washington coach Chris Peterson, when he was there, he I feel like he had a better feel of his team against Oregon, where in 2018, I think that, the Huskies were arguably a better team and that Oregon was more up and coming rather than cemented yeah, well, to where they are now. The rankings justified that at the time. Right. And it felt like Chris Peterson knew this and played Washington Husky football and they tried to win the trenches and Oregon had a great showing that day. 
and uh, thanks to a missed field goal, it got into overtime. But in 2019, it was clear that that Washington Husky team was not as talented as Oregon. And it felt like Chris Peterson you know, tried to take the top off a little bit on offense, ran a few too many Wildcat plays, as we remember, um, had the trickery on one of the kickoffs. You know, like he was really trying to put that team in a position to win, even though he felt as if they probably didn't have a position to win, if they just played normal straight up football. And so I'm wondering if Jimmy Lake and John Donovan, their offensive coordinator, have that mentality that they are willing to you know, not play how they normally play and give them give their team a chance to win. Injuries. Um, Jared, you wrote the story on DuckTerritory.com this week. It feels from like an, from an injury standpoint, things are probably going in the positive direction for Oregon heading into this one. Yeah, so Mario Cristobal said that Alex Forsyth is 100%. Um, he didn't necessarily give, which was, it was interesting to hear that he didn't necessarily give an answer whether Alex Forsyth or Ryan Walk was going to be the starting center so that it would be an open competition. So that's something to keep an eye on on Saturday. Um, but it did sound like Forsyth will play for the first time in four weeks against Washington. Uh, uh, he said that Steve Stevens on Wednesday would be questionable at best. He said that he would, you know, be reevaluated again which on uh, Thursday. So that's going to be another game time decision for the Ducks. And he said that Jordan Happel will play against Washington. It's pretty convenient that Steve Stevens is being reevaluated before we get a chance to talk with Mario again and right. learn his status yep. is. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> well for them in terms of making sure we don't know if he's going to play. Right. Uh, I'm guessing, I'm guessing that we do steve stevens based upon history of what mario is saying yeah. when mario is like oh we don't know right now but we'll get that to you later that that guy doesn't typically play so um yeah and then the question for me is is, is it as simple as jordan happel is starting or do we st still see brian addison again if you go watch on rewatch brian addison a very tough time out there and i just wonder do you go with the more veteran guy i mean like i think most would agree brian addison's a better athlete than jordan happel by a pretty significant margin the question is is Brian Addison able to put himself in the right position to make plays? And Washington, say what you want, would be smart enough to notice, hey, this guy on film last week just seemed like he was kind of out of position, was really slow to react, and would, I would think, do the same thing Colorado did, which was just pick on him all game. Um, mm -hmm. And that worked for Colorado. I don't think anybody – I mean, Washington's better offensively than Colorado is. You know, not a good passing offense, but statistically, they are still better than what the Buffs have. So um, I'll be curious to see what happens there with – kind of a decision-making perspective. Um, you go Happel there, probably what I would lean towards just in terms of that guy is, knows what he's doing out there. He's reliable in that area. He's not going to – no one's going to confuse him as an NFL player athletically, but he at least knows where he's supposed to be, whereas Brian Addison might have some of that next-level athletic tools. But, boy, did he seem kind of confused out there at times. So I think that's the tough push-pull here, assuming Stevens doesn't play. Yeah, I, I think you roll with the guy that knows what he's doing before you roll with – um, the more athletic player. Not to say that Addison doesn't know what he's doing, but like you said, Eric, Colorado targeted him and they had some success with it. Um, I would rather see the guy that maybe is less physically gifted, um, but will be in position first to see if he can handle it, and then you, you slide off. Um, 
All right, let's let's go to our game predictions now. Um, we'll start off. I'll start off with offensive individual. Um, I think Washington's too high safety look that they love to do on the Jimmy Lake. They always have their safeties very far back, like twenty yards beyond the line of scrimmage. Um, I think that plays into. Anthony Brown's strengths. The, the Husky defense at its core does not want to get beat over the top. So they are willing to give up the short stuff. And that will, in their eyes, force you eventually to make a mistake. I think that plays right into Anthony Brown's biggest strength. Look, he's not the best downfield thrower. And so they're almost kind of eliminating something that Oregon's not really doing a ton of anyways. And so I think that's going to lead to Anthony Brown completing 70% or better of his passes in this game. He's going to throw for three touchdowns, and he's going to have close or more than 270 yards passing for a third straight game. I think a lot of it's going to come in that 12 or under range. A lot of his work is going to be in that short stuff, which we've seen him be really good at the last two games. Be really curious to see if Oregon has success on the outside. This game gets really ugly. Yeah. Period. If Oregon, if, I mean, if if it, if it becomes one-on-one matchups because they do play a lot of man out there, um, and Oregon and like if Devin Williams can beat Trent McDuffie over and over again, and whether it's Troy Franklin or Micah Pittman can go out and beat Kyler Gordon one-on-one and that kind of thing, like Oregon's going to dominate this game and it could get really ugly. I think that part to me is a question mark if that can happen. I'm curious mm-hmm. on that. Those are really good corners, and Oregon has really good receivers. Um, winning those battles would go a huge way in this game, getting quote-unquote lopsided. I'm going with a Travis Dye game here. Um, we've talked about the shortcomings that Washington has defensively. This is a very good pass defense, a very bad rush defense, at least traditionally this season, and they seem susceptible to getting run on. And I think this is a big Travis Dye day. I do think – a big part of the pass attack will be what Matt said, which is keeping stuff underneath. I think that's going to involve the running backs. I think you're going to see a lot of Travis Dye involved in the pass game. So I have Travis Dye with another big game here. I'm saying he gains over 150 total yards in this game. That can be receiving, that can be rushing, and he has three total touchdowns or more again. So I'm he's currently – that sounds a little audacious to say, oh, boy, he's going to go for three touchdowns. But he just did it two consecutive weeks against defenses that are – overall not too far off what they're facing on Saturday. And again, I think this is a, I'll put it this way. I think Travis Dye scores all the touchdowns for Oregon. I, I don't think Oregon's going to get a lot of points in this game just because Washington can, can defend at a pretty high level. Um, but I do think he gets in the end zone three times. He has a lot of success overall in, in, in what is going to be an Oregon win as we'll get to later. So I have another rushing attack prediction as well, but I have the duo of Cardwell and Dye. Uh, combining for more than 175 yards on the ground. Um, This is not a great Washington Husky run defense. Um, This is an Oregon offensive line that seems to really be clicking ever since TJ Bass has been moved to left tackle. And despite Washington's defensive line getting a little healthy over the last few weeks, with ZTF coming back, I'm going to try to pronounce his name, not happening. Um, I still feel as if Oregon's offensive line is going to show – show up and they're going to manhandle around. And again, this, like we've been saying all podcasts, this is a battle of the trenches. This is the first step in that is establishing the run game. 
and forcing the two eye safety to, to come closer into the box. And so I have Cardwell and Travis Dye uh, combining for over 175 yards. All right, team prediction here. Um, I'm going to focus on the tight ends. I think this is going to be a big game for them. Um, just like I said about Anthony Brown, I, I think the short stuff, and that feels like where Oregon made a, a, a ton of, of their hay against Ohio State was the tight end dump-off passes. We haven't seen mm -hmm. that a lot the last couple of weeks, or really since that game, so six weeks or so now. Um, I think we get a, a heavy dose of the tight end group. And so I'm going to go with the tight ends combining for seven or more catches and 100 or more yards plus one touchdown or more. I'm going to go with the rushing game again. I, I just think I, I, I'm concerned about how much I – didn't, I didn't want to go too far out here with Anthony Brown offensive passing predictions based purely on the rush, the pass defense they're facing. Um, so I'm going to go again with the run game. I have 200 or more yards on the ground gained. I think Travis Dye obviously does the majority of that. I have 150, as I said a second ago, total offense. I think he gets the majority of that on the ground. And I think we, again, like similar kind of prediction to what Jared just had there with, with Cardwell being involved. And maybe you see some seven McGee. I think Anthony Brown as a runner, you know, Dorian Thompson Robinson had a little bit of success as well a couple of weeks ago. Um, against this Washington defense, I, I think there's a chance for Oregon to be pretty successful on the ground. Um, that is their bread and butter. This offensive line has been really good recently, and I think you see a lot of success in the ground. So 200 or more yards rushing for this offense. I have Oregon reaching over 400 total yards of offense. Um, this has only happened twice in the last five games against Washington's defense, once to Cal and then the other time to UCLA. Uh, other than that, the three other games, Washington has held their opponents to under 300 yards total. So 400 yards is a really good barometer of success against Washington's defense. They're still one of the better in the, con in the conference. They're, again, their pass defense is one of the best in the country. Uh, and that's, it, it's imperative that Anthony Brown has another good performance. I don't think he needs to – I don't think he, he can or needs to be as great as he was against Colorado – I think Washington is really going to limit what he can do offensively through the air. But just like Eric said, running the ball for Anthony is going to be extremely important. It's just going to provide another factor in Oregon's offense. And whether it's designed quarterback draws, quarterback runs, RPOs, whatever the case may be, uh, I think his establishment of the running game is going to be really important. Um, I can already anticipate there's going to be a couple third down runs from Brown that get Oregon the first down on, on a rollout or just, you know, a scramble in the pocket. But, yeah, Oregon over 400 yards total offense. Um, I think if that prediction comes true, I think Oregon will be in a really good position to win the game. All right, defensive individual position here. Verone McKinley in his entire career has not had 10 or more tackles. I, I think he gets there to, uh, on Saturday. He had nine against Oregon State last season. In 2019 against Washington, he had four. He didn't play against Washington in 2018. He's, his season high this year is eight, which came against Fresno State. He had seven against Stanford a couple weeks ago. 
I think Verone McKinley, with the depth and injuries the secondary is dealing with, I think Verone's going to have a big game. And I'm going to have him set a career high in tackles, which is which will be 10. Could be a bunch of assisted tackles, but I just have a feeling that their best secondary player needs to have a big game in this one, and he's going to come through with it. Mine is also a pass game prediction, but it's about the pass rush. And I just think you look at Kayvon Thibodeau's career in, in big moments in rivalry games, and he's come through more yeah. than he hasn't. And this feels like a big stage. There's a lot on the line. This is the stretch run of his college career. He knows he has at most six, maybe seven games left in it before Oregon makes the playoff and, and wins its semifinal game. So I think he's going to be ready for a big one. And, you know, he had the huge statistical game against UCLA. He still only had two sacks in that game. I know I'm saying only there, but this is a guy who we've seen in the past is capable of having a greater impact than that. And I, I think the game script is going to be one where Oregon has success early, builds its lead, and in the second half, it's a lot of Dylan Morris trying to throw the ball downfield. And I just think – I don't know if they're going to be able to protect Dylan Morris. Jackson Kirkland, I believe, is out, or he's been out the last couple of weeks. I don't know if he's been cleared or not to play. Jimmy Lake is really, even more than Mario Cristobal, tight-lipped with injury news. Um, I, I think Kayvon Thibodeau gets a season best in sacks. Currently his best was two against UCLA. I'm just saying two and a half or more, and I think he gets after the quarterback at a higher rate than he has all year. Yeah, I have another KT prediction as well. Um, it won't. I don't have him as many sacks, but I have him on a very similar stat line to how he was against UCLA. I have him having eight tackles, three tackles for loss, and two sacks. Um, you know, I fully anticipate Washington to, to pull a Colorado and really try to not go to his side of the line. Um, I thought it was really telling how frightening Kayvon Thibodeau can be to a team where their whole entire game plan is, hey, get the ball out fast and don't let number five come and rush you. <laughs> so I think Washington will try to do something similar to that. Um, I didn't think Colorado had the personnel, but apparently they did. And I, I know that Washington has the personnel to run some of those screens and quick outs, stuff like that. But I still feel as if when it's third down and long and – there could be a few of those depending on how you know Washington's rushing offenses. When it's third down and long, that's when Kayvon Thibodeau shows. That's when he shows up to the field and, and where all the work that he's put in comes into play. And um, I feel like Washington's offensive line just isn't going to have anywhere near the talent to stop him. And like Eric was saying, it's a big moment. It's a big game. Uh, they're away. It's another rivalry game on national television. So this is a chance for Thibodeau to show out. And we saw it against UCLA, and I think we'll see it again against Washington. All right. Team defensive prediction here. Washington gives up about two sacks a game, kind of going with what you guys were just saying. I think a lot of attention is going to be on Kayvon Thibodeau. He's going to have a good game. He's going to be matched up probably against the backup left tackle because, like Eric said, Kirkland's probably out for this game. Um, but I think all that attention on Thibodeau is going to open up everyone else to kind of wreak havoc here. And I'm thinking along the same lines as you guys in that second half, this game could get where Washington has to throw and it's going to create some opportunities. So I'm going – with this team getting four and a half sacks in this football game against Washington. I, I just think Oregon's D-line spearheaded with 
Thibodeau is going to be significantly better than Washington in pass defense. I think a defensive line wins at the line of scrimmage. Most, as you see, most of these predictions are based upon what happens to the line of scrimmage. Basically, all of them are for me. I have the Oregon defense holding Washington's run attack to 100 yards or fewer. Again, they've done that five times. Why are you shaking your head? Is it the same one you uh, have? Same thing, yeah. Okay. I thought you were shaking your head like that's a bad prediction. I'm like, well, no, no, no. I'm just like, come on, Eric. They've got like the five. same prediction, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Everything. Yeah. So, well, Jared and I are sharing this one. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that I really feel like the recipe for success for Oregon here is they run the ball really effectively. Washington cannot run the ball effectively, and it ends up being a game where Oregon is up. Again, I don't know if this game is high enough scoring where it feels like a blowout, but I just think it's a game where Oregon is able to win in the line of scrimmage, and they do that on both sides of the football, and they limit Washington to 100 or fewer yards on the ground. Yep, same thing. Um, I I said specifically hold them under their single season or their season average, excuse me, which is 100, 122.9 yards. I said 100 under 120, and I think Oregon would be in a very nice position if they forced Dylan Morris to beat them. I yep. don't think Dylan Morris is that great of a quarterback. I think he's played well at points this season, but he hasn't put it all together. And again, I the performance of the Ducks defensive line against UCLA was rather inspiring in terms of how to feel about this team and their potential up front. Um, if they have another performance like that against a team that isn't nearly as talented on, on offense in Washington, I think it could be significantly less than a hundred yards. So that's yeah. Same, same prediction as Eric again. <laughs> All right. Score predictions here. I think this game is going to be, relatively close throughout the first three quarters of this game. But I think in the fourth quarter, we're going to see Oregon pull away and the score is not going to be really indicative of how close this was through most of the game. Um, I don't think Washington ever really has a, a true command of the game. Um, that's not to say they may, may not lead at some point early in the game, but I just don't think the game really ever gets into a position where Oregon's like, oh, boy, this is a do-or-die moment. Uh, if we don't convert, this could get ugly. Um, it never gets there. But in that fourth quarter, I, I think when everything is at its peak, Oregon stars will shine the brightest. Kayvon Thibodeau will make big plays. Travis Dye will have an insane run or, or screenplay. Jerome um, McKinley will make an interception or, or make just a critical stop. Noah Sewell will, will, will showcase his aggressive play. Um, Oregon's offensive line will really flex its dominance at the line of scrimmage. Anthony Brown will make a critical play. And, and I think that fourth quarter in the clutch, this team has been so good in clutch moments in the fourth quarter that that will propel Oregon to winning by – They'll, they'll cover the spread. It'll be the first time all year. And it'll look like a score if you don't pay attention to the game. Wow, Oregon kind of kicked their butts. Give me Oregon 38, Washington 21. I'm, I'm thinking Oregon scores 14 points in the fourth quarter to kind of mm -hmm. go away and, and, and really make it uh, a convincing win. I'm not expecting a ton of scoring. Um, my score prediction is quite low compared to what you just predicted. And I, I think part of it is I just don't know if there's a lot of success through the air period. You know, Washington's allowed four pass touchdowns all season. Um, 
they've allowed 12 on the ground. And I think Oregon will score and have success rushing the football. And I just don't, I'm, I also have very little confidence in Washington's offense doing a ton. Um, you know, maybe I'm too high on this Oregon defense. We've certainly seen in past weeks moments that weren't very good against opponents that are about the same caliber, if not in Colorado's case, a worse offense. So, I mean, maybe I'm overcrediting this defense, but I, I think that the strengths of Washington plays into the strengths of Oregon defensively. And I think the opposite is true on the other side of the ball too. So, I mean, I, I actually think the matchup's pretty favorable here. Um, and I think it's going to be a, just a total, it's going to be a, a bunch of punching back and forth for four quarters. I think Oregon wins. I think they cover, um, but I don't have a lot of points on the board. I say Oregon wins 24 to 13. Coming out of this game, they give up one defensive touchdown. They themselves only score three touchdowns, but it's enough to win. And again, I think a win like that, given what this rivalry means, is enough for the committee to say, okay, that's pretty impressive, especially the way the defense performs. That's my that's where I'm at. I think Oregon dominates throughout. I think this team, especially with the help of Coach Jimmy Lake for Washington. I think they're going to come out and really try to send a message. Um, I think they are clearly the better team, more talented overall. And I think Mario Cristobal is, is – I think if Mario has the chance to run up the score in this type of game, I think he would. I think that's how intense he's going to be on Saturday. And I think that's how intense the, the practice sessions have been this entire week. I think that's the intensity around the program. Um, I think their proverbial bulletin board in their locker room is full of things right now. And you know, just from talking to Mario and players throughout the week, um, they never took any of the bait. They handled every you know, rivalry question with, with class and just you know had their typical one and zero response at the end of everything. And I think that's exactly the mentality they're going to go in there with. And I think afterwards, if they win, which I'm going to predict, um, I think their one and zero mentality will change, like I've said earlier. But I think this is going to be uh, an opportunity for Oregon to, you know, show the college football playoff selection committee, like, yeah, you guys did a good job putting us in, in fourth. Like we, they're going to come out there and and play their butts off. So I have Oregon winning thirty four to twenty one. I think they're going to be in control the entire game. Um, I don't think it's really going to be an, an issue where Washington might come back. I think Oregon's going to control the game on defense for the most part. How important are style points, if you like? like I, I believe if Oregon has an opportunity to turn a, let's just say it's a, a 28 to 10 game, if they have the opportunity in the fourth quarter and they could make it a 42 to 10 game, they're going to take it. I, I, I think – Oregon has to it, – it's a deal where it's all like the BCS in the early years where not necessarily running up the score, but the foot will not come off the gas if, if, if that situation comes up. I'm conflicted because I also we, – we thought the same thing last week against Colorado, and then they kind of did the opposite and pulled the starters and played a lot of reserves. And maybe that's just you're playing Colorado and you're up 34 points and it kind of is what it is. Everybody knows who the better team is. There's no confusion. Maybe there is more of a message to be sent here because of some of the things Jimmy Lake said. Maybe this is a thing where most weeks, if, if you don't have a head coach calling into question the intelligence of the opposing school and players on the football team, that, that maybe the, that Oregon just kind of says, hey, we'll play our backups late in this game if we can. Um, 
but yeah, I don't know. The rivalry part makes me think maybe there are some opportunities to be taken here to, to really send a message. Um, I, I also just don't know if, if this game gets to a place where that matters because I just think it's going to be competitive enough where I don't know if – like I'll put it this way. Like if Oregon's up, I'd say, 24-13 at the end of the game and they have a drive, I think they'll try to score it without question just because that would improve the optics. And honestly, getting to three scores is, is, is an improvement on where you're at from just protecting your lead. But at the same time, I, I don't know if it's going to be a game where you even have a chance to go for a quote-unquote – make massive style points and maybe I'll be totally wrong and Oregon will come out and it'll be closer to your guys' score, but I'm a let little me, Let me change it then. Can you get style points with a, a 10 point win at Washington? Uh, uh, eh. I don't uh, know. Probably not in the committee's eyes. I think it's, I, no. I think, I think if it's a game where you, the statistics of Washington are just atrocious and you're offensively, you can maybe go, wow, look at the defense flexed its muscles, but yeah, I don't. I don't. I, mean, I don't know. Washington's, Washington's still a four and four football team. It's not like they beat Michigan by ten points. That's a huge difference. So, yeah, I think in order to get the most amount of style points, Oregon needs to, you know, lay lay down the medal. Like you know, three score win, two score win, something like that, where it's just a dominant win, and where literally anybody in the country can look at the box score if they didn't watch the game and be like, oh, Oregon kicked the crap out of them. Okay, cool. It's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Autos podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy this football game. Next time you hear us on the pod is going to be a post-game edition late Saturday night. Uh, Eric, Jared, and I will all be at Husky Stadium for this game, and it's going to be an interesting one. It's going to be a fun one. Until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Autos podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.